Good morning, Chairperson. Um, I'm Valerie Carlson, the Standing Committee Secretary for Ms. Martinez this morning. So we can start. Um, there is enough members to start, Chair, but it's one minute to nine. Um, if you want to give maybe another minute for um, other members to join, but there are enough members in the meeting to start. And the Deputy Minister is also present. Okay, please indicate when we're ready to start, uh, because uh, according, according to my own uh, time, it's nine already, but I will wait for it's you. Nine. It's nine now, nine o'clock, ma'am. Okay, thank you, Valerie. Um, greetings to honorable members of the committee. Um, Deputy Minister of Public Works and Infrastructure, the guests that we have invited in this meeting today, our support team from the parliament, members of the media, and all those that are watching this um, meeting uh, of today. As we all know, um, that uh, this is still part of what we explained um, to South Africans um, when we were going to each province uh, doing the public hearings. We indicated, and also when we were listening to many individuals and groups when we we're doing with oral presentation, we indicated that we will then, after we have collected all that information, um, the views of the people through written submissions, through oral presentations, and through public hearings, that we will then invite the department to look at, at that information and then apply their legal mind on what has been presented by the people and look at all these clauses and advise us accordingly. We will also invite the parliamentary legal services. We will also ensure that the office of the chief state law advisor will also be part of this meeting. And as such, we postponed the meeting that was supposed to sit on the 24th of November uh, because of uh, the some of the three um, offices that have been mentioned, they were not ready for that particular meeting. Uh, if I can take you a, a, a just a little bit back as the background of this um, bill. Um, in in the, in 2019, um, the parliamentary advisory panel. On, on land reform, advised the president that the old expropriation act number 63 of 1975 is unconstitutional and is in conflict with the constitution of South Africa that was adopted in 1996. That is why when we we're going all out, um, we explained that this expropriation bill number 23 of 2020 is to repeal expropriation act number 63 of 1975. And then the reason now we have all these uh, legal experts in our meeting 
We want them to look at what the people have said and ensure that whatever that is said is within the legal um, parameters because we don't want, again, when we adopt this expropriation bill, we deal with something that is in conflict with our supreme law, which is the Constitution of South Africa of 1996. We are then, um, uh, I know that many South Africans are looking at this because one of the main reasons is that we are living in a very unequal um, society or country um, in which there are many laws that disadvantage many of, of the people or the majority of South Africans. And this law that we want to say it must be repealed, we know in Dubai it was a law that was adopted by the then apartheid government. So the experts today, the legal experts today, are going to uh, advise us uh, whether what has been said by the people is it within the legal parameters um, of our constitution. But we are not saying what has been raised by the people uh, when we deal with clause by clause, uh, which will be um, not in this meeting. We will look also at what the South African have raised about this bill. With those few words, I am welcoming all of you in this meeting. Um, I inviting all the guests that we have invited to speak without fear or favor, to tell us exactly what is correct and what is not correct. By doing so, arming us that when we deal as the portfolio committee with clause by clause of this bill, we will be within the parameters of law. You are all welcome, um, honorable members, GM, and, and the guests that I have mentioned. Can you please, uh, Miss Valerie, um, um, flight on our screens the agenda of today? Thank you. Um, apologies, um, um, honorable members. I have received two apologies um, with me today. The apology of honorable Tring, who had a prior commitment. Uh, he won't be joining us in this uh, meeting. The apology of honorable Jobo, who had to rush to something else this morning, an urgent matter that came in the early hours of this morning. Honorable Jobo will also not be with us uh, this, this morning in the today's portfolio committee. Any other apology that I may not have uh, noted or it may not have come to me, Ms. Valerie? 
Can you hear me? Um, there were no other apologies except the ones that you've just mentioned. Thank you, Ms. Valerie. Those are the, oh, the, there is also an, an apology of the minister who is attending a, a, a cabinet meeting. And we do have with Deputy Minister, uh, so it's three apologies. Um, the way that you're going to do this, um, on my hand, yes, uh, DM. My apologies, Chair, for doing that. Uh, I'm surprised. Uh, good morning to you, first, uh, Chair, and uh, to the honorable members. Um, of the committee to all the guests, the, the support team, to everyone. My apologies for doing this to you. My understanding is that the apology was sent, I don't know to whom, uh, that I have a select committee meeting um, at, at 10, which will be de de dealing with the public entities. Uh, in as much as minister is in cabinet, we felt it necessary that I start here in this meeting so that uh, they, to, to bring the legitimacy of the presentations from the department. It's, 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 it's matters that we have engaged on that will be presented by both the lawyers and uh, the officials from the department. But at 10, uh, uh, Honorable Chairperson, I, I am requesting that I be allowed to join the Select committee uh, where the entities will be um, presenting. Uh, my apologies once more. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, um, uh, DM. Um, we are noting uh, that uh, apology that you are presenting. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't receive it. Uh, uh, maybe because, as you all know, that Miss Martinese. Uh, is on study leave, uh, maybe it was sent to her. But I know that if there's anything that has been sent to her, she would um, usually um, forward it to either me and or the acting secretary that we have, Ms. Valerie. But we are noting your apology and your request to be released at 10. Um, we will, uh, honorable members, start, of course, with the department. Uh, so that uh, DM, uh, I don't know whether the words that you just made were your words of introducing the team, or maybe let's hand over to you. We will start with the department uh, to present uh, the, the, their views on what the people have said on this bill. Over to you, DM. No, thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, I, I appreciate uh, your goodwill on, on my apology. Thank you very much. And um, indeed, uh, we, we do have the acting DG, and he is accompanied by the lawyers that have been assisting us as a department in, uh, uh, in crafting and in getting uh, as legal advice on, on the bill itself. Um, my understanding is that um, the, the team of the lawyers, uh, uh, advocate, uh, 
senior advocate uh, Butlander would have been part of the team. I'm not sure. I haven't uh, seen him on the on the platform, uh, but maybe the DG will be informing us of who has uh, attended in his place. But as 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 you correctly say, Chair, the the, the intention of this um, bill is to keep within and 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 act within uh, the prescripts of the constitution. It is the constitution that has prescribed that um, we, we we need this kind of act, which is an enabling act, uh, which is to be used also by other departments uh, in crafting their own laws. Uh, it is enabling for government departments to be able to make their own uh, expropriation laws in terms of um, uh, the, the, as the constitution prescribes. Uh, and therefore it's a tool, this is a tool at the hands of the people of South Africa uh, for um, the kind of reforms, land reforms we would want to see. And, and therefore departments such as the Department of Land Affairs, um, Department of Environment, when they make their own uh, pieces of legislation, they will be enabled by this by this act. So it's more of a tool than anything from our side, but it's a tool or it's a key that unlocks the potential of and the ability of South Africa to uh, initiate and expand on land reform. Um, and, and, and therefore is, is constitutional. Or where one thinks that it is unconstitutional, the intention is not to be unconstitutional. The in, intention is still to remain within the law. But the, the detail in the, uh, in, in the comments will come from the lawyers. Uh, there's acting DG on the platform who will introduce the, the team of... Um, lawyers that uh, are advising us, uh, state law advisors, as you correctly acknowledged. Um, mine is to introduce them and indicate that indeed they do have our blessings as a department. We have engaged with them uh, on the um, responses that they are bringing to the fore. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. I will now hand over to the acting DG. Thank you. Thank you thank very you, much. Acting DG, over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Deputy Minister. Good morning, Chairperson, members of the committee and the other colleagues present. Uh, Chairperson, I won't take up my, too much of time. Deputy Minister has uh, summarized uh, uh, the strategic issues pertaining to our presentation. We are thankful for the opportunity to respond uh, formally to the issues raised during the public participation process. I have uh, Advocate Bad Lender as well as Advocate Naidu uh, who will comment and assist us in the process. And I'd like to ask Molatello Moasa, who's our acting DDG for policy, to give an overview of our presentation, whereafter uh, the advocate will come in and support some of the content. So. Uh, I'd like to call Molatello. Molatello, please go ahead. 
thank you, Ekten DG, and good morning, um, honorable chairperson, uh, honorable members, uh, honorable DM, and colleagues from the Department of Public Works. I hope I am audible. Yes, you are audible. Okay. You may go okay. ahead. Uh, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm uh, chairperson. I won't take too much time. Uh, the presentation that is showing there uh, aims to provide the portfolio committee with the legal advice on the public comments that arose from the public pro uh, participation process. Can we go to the second slide? And uh, the on the 17th, uh, the portfolio committee produced a report, a comprehensive report regarding the expropriation bill par uh, participation process. And the portfolio committee meeting of the 24th, the committee requested the department uh, the legal advice, uh, the par parliamentary legal advisor, and uh, the office of the chief state law advisor to provide advice with respect to the following key uh, proposed amendments, which were on slide 34 of the uh, presentation that we received from the um, the, the portfolio committee. Uh, those were the six items: definition of expropriation, definition of property expropriation without compensation inclusion of mineral and water rights, the amendment of chapter five of the bill as outlined in section 3225, and the nail compensation clauses. So what we have done is we have engaged with um, uh, the senior counsel, uh, Advocate Badlenda, who is here with Advocate uh, Naidu, and uh, they have indeed gone through this and uh, they will be giving a, a summary uh, presentation in terms of those uh, six items. Um, without any waste of time, I will then uh, hand over to Advocate Badlenda to start with the first uh, um, one, which is the expropriation. Thank you very much. Uh, good, good morning, Chairperson. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for the opportunity to make this presentation. I'm going to work my way quite briskly through the six items which we were asked to address all of which are on the slide presentation, which is in front of the members. The first issue that was raised with us is the definition of expropriation. And what the bill says is, defines expropriation as follows, as, quote, the compulsory acquisition of property by an expropriating authority or an organ of state. Now, underline that it's the acquisition of property by an expropriating authority or an organ of state upon request to an expropriating authority and expropriating, expropriate has a corresponding meaning. In other words, the essence or element of, of expropriation is that it is the state which acquires the property, either the expropriating authority or the organ of state. And that is consistent with the definition which is used by the Constitutional Court in its jurisprudence. But it, the public comments pointed out that the definition is too narrow, it's under-inclusive, because it doesn't include compulsory acquisition of land by third-party beneficiaries for land reform purposes as an expropriation. If the state expropriates a piece of land in order to provide it to uh, people who have a restitution claim, for example, they are not expropriating authorities, they're not an organ of state. And so it doesn't fall within this narrow definition. And it's therefore important that the definition in the bill must be expanded to include situations where the third party beneficiaries who are not organs of state acquire public acquire property for a public purpose or in a public interest through an expropriating authority. Amendments of that kind would cover land reforms, water reforms, and similar reforms. So that's the first 
thing that must be done in relation to the expropriation. The second problem with the definition of expropriation is that it is in some respects too wide because it could be included, could be interpreted as applying to situations where the state acquires property through legislation, including asset forfeiture, tax, uh, uh, criminal penalties, and so on. Those mechanisms, of course, have nothing to do with expropriation. They're designed to serve ends that are different from acquiring property for use by the public or a section of the public or in the public interest. And so this must be remedied by linking expropriation to acquisition for a public purpose or in the public interest and to the use of the property for those purposes. So the what has emerged from the debate which has taken place uh, in the public comments is the, the existing uh, definition is too narrow in one respect because it doesn't include third-party beneficiaries like the land reform beneficiaries, but it's also too broad in that it might be understood to include criminal penalties, asset forfeiture, and so on. So it must be defined to exclude of those. That's the first point. Then the second point the committee asked us to go deal with, if we can go into the next slide, is the definition of property. And what the bill does is it says property means property as, as in Section 25 of the Constitution. That was a deliberate choice because the notion of property in terms of Section 25 of the Constitution is constantly being developed by the courts. For example, the courts have had to deal with questions such as whether a license or a permit is property. And it's impossible to adopt a detailed definition of property in the bill because it needs to be decided incrementally on a case-by-case -case basis, and the Constitutional Court is already doing that work. The Constitutional Court has explained, as the State Law Advisor points out, that it would be unwise to attempt a comprehensive definition of, uh, of property. It's an, it's an evolving concept. It's dependent on a case-by-case -case basis. And the, the point is that if you put in a definition, you've got two, you create two risks. Firstly, you create the risk that the bill restricts the definition of property and excludes certain property that may be expropriated. Alternatively, the bill is too wide and includes something which should not be expropriated, uh, a right of a different kind. And so the definition of property is uh, in the bill is deliberately refers simply to section 25 of the constitution. And we do not recommend any change to the bill in that regard. Then if I can go to the third issue, the third issue is uh, the question of expropriation with, without compensation. Why does the bill not say expropriation without compensation? It may seem like a very legalistic and lawyer's argument, but we, we believe it's important that there should be a distinction drawn by, between expropriation without compensation, which is not permitted under the Constitution, or expropriation with nil compensation, which we believe is permitted by the Constitution. Nil is the amount of compensation. And Section 25 doesn't permit generalized expropriation without compensation, but there may be circumstances in which the Constitution permits expropriation for compensation which is equal to nil, provided that doing so is just and equitable. That's the test in the Constitution. What the Constitution requires is that there must be a balancing exercise so that the amount, the amount of compensation results in a just and equitable balance between the public interest on the one side and the interest of those who are affected on the other side. And in some cases, we believe 
the just and equitable amount of compensation will be nil. That doesn't mean this is expropriation without compensation. It's expropriation for nil compensation. I, I realize it's very much a lawyer's point, but it does make a difference from a legal point of view. So we say that the Constitution and the Bill don't provide for expropriation without compensation. They provide for just and equitable compensation, which is what the Constitution requires, and which in some cases will be nil. And that's, the, that's, the, that's that item. If you can then go to the next slide. The next is the question of inclusion of mineral and water rights. And the simple answer to this is that mineral and water rights are already included because they are property. They are inside the definition of property, and there is no need to include them by making some specific reference to them. They constitute property, and that is recognized by Section 25.4 of the Constitution and Section 25.8 of the Constitution. Two situations will arise if there are mineral and water rights. If they are registered, then the person in whose favor they are, their rights operate will be an owner under the bill. If they are unregistered, the person in whose favor they operate will be a holder for the purposes of the bill. In both instances, the bill offers them protection and guarantees them just and equitable compensation which in appropriate cases might be not. We make the note point that the bill expressly excludes unregistered mineral rights, which are dealt with under the, the MPRDA from acquisition by an expropriating authority. So that's, that's the inclusion of mineral and water rights. They are, already, in other words, they are already in the bill and the bill, because they are property and the bill, and that's well established in our law, and the bill needs no uh, amendment to deal with that. Then on the fifth slide, we deal with chapter five of the bill, and there we respond to some comments were made by some, which were made by some public participants in Limpopo and Pumalanga, that chapter five should be deleted so that expropriation without compensation can be achieved. And we say with due respect that this represents a misconception amongst members of the public those members of the public in Pumalanga and Limpopo about the amendment of the bill. It is an object of amending the bill to provide in express terms that no compensation for an expropriation may be permissible in appropriate circumstances. And so what the bill does is it acknowledges that Section 25.2b of the Constitution requires that all expropriations be subject to payment of compensation in an amount that is just and equitable. The bill accepts that section 25.3 of the Constitution requires various factors to be considered and weighed up to ascertain what amount will satisfy the requirements of justice and equity. The bill clarifies that in certain circumstances, an equitable balance between the public interest and the interests of those affected by the expropriation may be struck in paying null compensation. Nextly, the bill explains that each case must be evaluated on its own merits, and there's no one-size-fits-all that can be approached that can be adopted. It's a case-by-case -case matter as what's just and equitable in each case. And the bill highlights six instances in which, which Parliament, we suggest, should regard as potentially fitting for the payment of null compensation, provided that all relevant factors on balance support that conclusion in the interests of justice and equity. And so, if we can go to the next slide, it was never the intention of the bill to depart from Section 25.2b and 25.3 of the Constitution. If the bill did that, 
if the bill said there will be compensation, there will be expropriation without compensation, as these public participants suggested, that would be inconsistent with the Constitution. The Constitution says that there will be, will be compensation, but the compensation, the amount of the compensation will be just and equitable. So a blanket limitation of this kind, saying no compensation for, uh, for expropriation would not be permissible under Section 25 and under Section 36, which is the limitations clause in the Constitution. What the bill provides for and what the Constitution provides for is that expropriation may be used as a tool for land reform, for water reform, and for related, related reform to redress past racial discrimination. Section 25.8 explicitly states that any departure from the provisions of Section 25, in other words, the guarantee of just and equitable compensation, must be in accordance with Section 36. And what that means is that it must be reasonable and justifiable in an open and democratic society based on human dignity, equality, and freedom. And we say that deleting Chapter 5, as those members of the public proposed, would also would not only be unconstitutional, but also leave the other me mechanisms in the bill untethered, because the other mechanisms deal with valuation, engagements with owners, consultations with mortgagees and municipalities. All of that would be pointless if there is going to be no compensation for any expropriation. And so we, we conclude that the proposal that Chapter 5 should be deleted is ill-founded and that Parliament should not accept it. That brings me finally to Chapter 6, to, to, to Slide 6, which deals with the null compensation provisions. And members of the committee will be aware that what Clause 12.3 does is it attempts to identify some pressing cases where it may be appropriate to uh, have no compensation. I need to say two things about that. Firstly, it doesn't mean that there will be no compensation in all cases. The amount of compensation has to be determined by the court, and it has to be just and equitable. What 12.3 does is it attempts to uh, explain to the, to the court cases in which no compensation may be permissible. The second thing is that it also doesn't, it's not a closed list. Those aren't the only six sorts of cases in which there could be no compensation. It's for the court in each case to decide what would be just compensation in each case. And if there's a seventh instance or an eighth or a tenth instance where the court says, no, I can see that in this case, no compensation is just and equitable, then no compensation will be paid under the bill. Then to go through some of the, the, uh, the provisions, paragraph A seeks to inhibit arable land or other land that could be used for a socially productive purpose, for example, housing, uh, from being used and held only for investment purposes. It encourages making effective use of all land. In other words, what it does is it's a sort of usable loser principle that if you hold land, land is a natural resource which we all need. It's one thing for me to sit with money in my bank account and to say, I'm going to invest that and I'm going to use invest that money as I think fit. That doesn't affect anybody else's rights. But if I hold land and I prevent land being used uh, for, and there are people who need access to land, then that does affect other people. And so land, because it is a limited resource and it is an essential resource for, for all of us, 
is different from other sorts of investments. However, the, the second bullet, we make the point that there is some force in the criticism that there's nothing immoral about holding land for investment purposes per se. It's not immoral and it's not illegal. And if it's going to be in, in, expropriated in the public interest, it shouldn't be nor, for null compensation. But it may be that there are some cases where it should be null compensation, or there may be some cases where there should be uh, reduced compensation. These are matters, this is a matter which I think a policy question, which the committee will need to de debate and decide how to deal with land which is held for solely for investment purposes. The critical thing is that the most important, maybe one of the most important, is that land should not simply be held where, <clears throat> where the only purpose is to obtain a benefit or a profit from the expropriation. That would be, that would be uh, uh, something which Parliament would need to deal with. And that's what we say in the third bullet point. We say a possible alternative would be to modify paragraph A to make it clear that the bill is not targeting all land held purely for investment purposes, <clears throat> but is instead aimed at expropriating land that is being held for no reason other than to obtain a profit from the expropriation. In other words, holding the state and the public to ransom. There was a, if, if there's a desperate need for housing in a particular area, and there's a particular piece of land which is ideally suited, and it's the only suitable land in the area, someone who sits on that land and holds it and says, well, the value is going to go up, you're going to need to pay me more. You can expropriate, but you pay me increased compensation. That person will be at risk. In the last bullet on that page, Paragraph B aims to deal to prevent land owned by an organ of state from lying unused. If the, because again, the use it or lose it principle should apply. We need to bring land into production and bring land into use. If the organ of state is not using the land for the intended purpose, and if it acquired the land for free, which is very often the case, then that should be a material factor in the favor of expropriating the land for no compensation. The organ of state, just like anybody else, can't just sit on its land, particularly where it acquired the land for free. Then on the page 12, the next slide, we deal with paragraph C. Paragraph C seeks to ensure that where an owner who has the ability to control and safeguard her land fails to do so and physically abandons the land, which could be put to a productive social use, then it may be just and equitable to expropriate that land in the public interest for no compensation. We do have cases where people just walk away from the land for one reason or another. There are many different sorts of reasons. In some cases, it may be appropriate to say, well, the compensation should be nil in those cases. There is no mechanism in our law for abandoning ownership of removable property that is registered in the owner's name. So what the bill does is says that for its purposes, the test for abandonment is the objective element. In other words, the, the owner hasn't exercised physical control of the property. As a matter of fact, has abandoned, let it, let it, let it go. And an, a subjective element, despite having the ability to do so, the owner chooses not to do so and chooses not to exercise control. And the department has formulated a proposed amendment in this regard, which makes this, which refines the clause 12.3b of the bill. Then the next bullet, paragraph D seeks to leave, leave the state in a no worse off position if it expropriates property in the public interest. In other words, 
If the state has already invested in or subsidized the property, the state has paid for the, the property or has paid for the improvements of the property, it shouldn't have to, it, to pay more if the market value is equal to or less than the amount which has already been paid by the state. In other words, the state shouldn't, have, shouldn't pay twice for a piece of land. And paragraph E is related to paragraph C. It has in mind derelict and dangerous, dangerous abandoned properties in areas that may be suited for housing purposes, including urban housing processes, purposes. So, Chairperson, those are our uh, responses to the six questions which we were asked to address. I can tell the members of the committee that we have also made a very detailed analysis of all of the uh, proposals which emerged uh, on the, uh, in the public participation process. And no doubt that will be made available in due course to help the committee work through the proposed the clauses one by one when it comes to that process. So when it comes to the clause by clause process, the department will have will be in a position to make proposals to the committee as to what amendments should be made for the bill as published so far. Chairperson, thank you very much for your time and your patience. And that is our presentation. Uh, Monatella, is there anything we want to add from our side? Oh, yes. Um, no, no, not much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Advocate. Um, I think, yes, uh, we um, actually indicated the part I wanted to indicate. Uh, when it comes to the clause by clause, uh, indeed, we'll be able to provide the comprehensive um, uh, analysis of uh, different comments or clauses um, uh, when that time arrives. And for now, really, we um, subjected ourselves to these six very key um, issues that came from, from, from the report. Um, yeah, I think that will be all. But we have also provided a report just in terms of detail, because uh, from the uh, presentation we were um, summarizing, uh, the report to this effect for, for these six bullets have also been provided. Thank you very much, Chairperson. I will hand over back to you. Um, thank you, Acting DG. Uh, in fact, uh, GM, Acting DG, um, and your legal team uh, on your presentation. Um, you, okay, I think you are true with all your presentation now, so that we can invite um, the parliamentary legal services. Are you true acting DJ with all your presentations? Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Yes, we are. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We will we will entertain questions for clarities and comments when we have dealt with all um, honorable members. Let's invite the parliamentary legal services. Thank you so much, Chairperson. <clears throat> And greetings to yourself and all the members and everybody on the platform. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Chairperson. Um, whilst I go on, I'll probably request the secretary to either put up my slide or has already given me the sharing rights so that I can put up my, my presentation and speak to it, Chairperson. 
I am not sure if I have those rights as, as yet. Um, Chair, I've given Ms. Uh, Ms. Pumalele and the State Law Advisor both co-host rights I'd like to share the presentations. Thank you, thank you, Ms. Valerie. Um, thank you, uh, uh, I hope my slide is showing on to the members. I've just quickly opened at the last slide, uh, but I'm going up to the first one. I hope it is coming through on the side of the members. I'm on slide two. Is it showing to everyone? Yes, clearly. Thank you so much, Chairperson. Um, as my slide indicates, basically, Chairperson, I am going to attempt to try and put the context and the space where the committee is at now. We are generally under Chapter 13 of the National Rules of Parliament, I mean, of the National Assembly Rules um, at, at, at Rule 2866. Chairperson, I think it's basically C and D where the committee is now attempting to go through an examination of everything that has been submitted to the committee to try and bring input and influence the decision of the committee in its legislative processing of this bill. Um, what is happening now, Chairperson, the members will be deliberating through and considering every proposed, every proposed amendment, and the department has already indicated that Normally, what happens is that the committee also get responses from each and every um, submission that was submitted, but they have indicated in this instance that they restricted their presentation today to the six priority areas that were determined out of the report of the committee when it was presented to to, to, to indicate what happened during the public engagement, both in parliament on oral presentations, as well as when we went for public hearings throughout the provinces. And basically, Chairperson, the six areas that they've spoken to are the areas that were contentious and mostly challenged and raised by most of the submitters that brought the matters to parliament. And I'm, I'm appreciating the fact that the department has indicated that they will still present to the committee the, the responses and the details in light of, because as they are policyholders and they also determine the policy to ensure whatever is suggested and is to be considered by the members still stays within, within the government policy chairperson. So that is basically where we are at in terms of the process and what is, is taking place. I won't go through slide three because Chairperson is basically explaining what I've already said and the processes that have taken place. Um, in one of the submissions, Chairperson, there was an issue raised that this bill did not undergo or a contestation that this bill did not go through the CESA impact assessment report. Basically, Chairperson, I did request the submission of this report and the department submitted it. It does prove that the socioeconomic assessment impact report was done and was, um, it's a cabinet process. So it was basically approved by the relevant department with the responses that the Department of Public Works gave in the questions that needed to be clarified to also indicate 
what is it that this bill seeks to do and how is it going to impact generally outlining the implications that will be suffered by the citizens at large as well as the government implications like putting in place financial um financial requirements and ensuring that um the 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 the, the funds are there to ensure that this bill once it becomes the law it will be enacted and implemented properly so that chairperson if if it is necessary Perhaps then the department will also speak to it when it gives us the responses clause by clause of the bill. But I wanted to assure the committee that the CESA report of this bill was done and I have studied it, Chairperson, and I'm satisfied that it speaks to the issues. Um, and it does seek to clarify the questions and the concerns that some of the members had raised. Now, Chairperson, before I get to the gist of the bill itself, I also thought it's prudent to speak to, to the fact that the amendment that was proposed for Section 25 has already lived its life through Parliament and it was rejected when the second reading was done. And what basically are the implications thereof? The main part that it would have impacted for purposes of our bill as the department and their legal team has pointed out, would have been section 12. However, and as, as the tagging process, as well as the, 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 the opinion of the state law advisors pointed out when they introduced the bill on behalf of the department, is to indicate that despite the rejection of the amendments done to the section 25, the manner that the bill was drafted it's still consistent with the with, with the provisions of the constitution as that as they stand because it speaks to the issue of a determination of compensation at nil which is basically a zero rent and that's exactly what the the bill has taken through into the phrases and the provisions that it uses in the bill but 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 generally the impact of the rejection of the Section 25 constitutional amendment, which was the constitutional amendment of, of, of called 18th Constitution Amendment Bill, it is that that bill has lapsed and has lived its life. If anything has to happen, we will have to restart the process all the way from the beginning um, and, and, and redo that again. But that does not hamper on us going forward with the bill. Now that said, Chairperson, I will now broadly speak to the principles of the bill, and they do align to the to the seven prior, to the six priority areas that the department has has spoken to, and they indicated that they derived their cue from what was presented in slide thirty four of of the committee, the previous meeting that we had. Chairperson, mostly um, what is coming out is the principle of separation of powers. And that has been discussed in detail. And the manner that the bill is drafted, it does give credence to that principle and ensures that it is not disrespected. And furthermore, Chairperson, it takes into account the judgments, the jurisprudence that we have been given by the courts 
to guide the determination and the drafting of necessary legislation. And Chairperson, having said that, I will then, in terms of the issues that are raised, as I go through the slides, speak to the issues that have been raised about the courts and the powers that the courts have been granted and enabled in terms of um, the implementation and providing uh, construction and interpretation of the provisions and what we already have in this place. And the second issue, Chairperson, is, is the issue of nil compensation. And I think Advocate Bud Lender has clearly outlined in line with what the Constitution is currently providing and what is the intention and what was the point of the bill choosing to opt to speak to nil compensation and not necessarily expropriation that takes place without compensation. Because as the constitution stands right now, it does allow for deprivation of property. And it has given a definition that says property is not only limited to land, and that will also take me to other issues when I speak to, 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 to the principles about the definitions of the bill. So, Chairperson, deprivation in terms of the Constitution is enabled and can be lawful as long as it is not arbitrary. However, this is why we are doing this process. We are dealing with the bill that seeks to repeal and, and reenact certain provisions of the existing legislation of the Expropriation Act that was enacted in 1975. And that is why this process is taking place because there are a lot of other impl implications that are taking place. Hence, expropriation is indeed an extreme form of violation of rights. However, it is a lawful process and that is why we are seeking to do an aligned system mechanism to expropriate property in line with the constitution because the constitution is the supreme law of the country. And what previously in terms of the history and the existing legislation that we are attempting to repeal once this process will be passed is that section 25.3 of the constitution change the market value method, which is what the current expropriation bill was putting as the main mechanism to use on processes for considering expropriation as well as the amount of compensation. It was to look at the market value, but what appears in section 25.3 now, which the old act did not speak to, is what is just and equitable so that when you expropriate, because as the third element, when expropriation happens as an acquiring of property by the state, at times by force, of course, because expropriation, as I said, is an extreme violation of rights to property, there has to be a consideration of what is just and equitable to amount to compensation. However, the jurisprudence that we have has not per se given the direct construction of what that would mean.
but there is legislation. I mean, there is jurisprudence that is guiding, and the opinion of the state law advisor is generally speaking to some of those judgments and uh, is, is bringing a great outline of what the courts have said in order to guide both the legislatures as well as the executive. And so that said, Chairperson, we are guided in terms of what this bill is presenting by the jurisprudence as well as what appears on section 25 of the constitution, specifically 25.3 A2E, setting out the, the balancing exercise and how to conduct um, expropriation that lawful and uh, in light of our constitutional system. Jefferson, having said that, I, ha I am zooming directly now to clause 12, because clause 12 is fitting in into that chapter 5, which um, we are told Limbombo um, public hearings sort of misdirected their understanding into, 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 into what is said. Chapter 5 starts with clause 12, which speaks to the compensation for expropriation and how compensation may be determined. So in terms of subsection 1, as already has been pointed out, one can generally say it repeats what the Constitution already points um, in, 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 in section 25. And then sec the main one, which has received a, a various contestations and challenges from the public was 12.3. 12.3 sets out instances of possible new compensation, which is assumed um, that it will be a zero rent compensation if determined, and that will be either determined by the expropriating authority or by agreement of the parties or if it comes to that push, as we will still get there by the courts, because the courts are also granted the role to play in terms of Section 25, as well as in the manner that the bill is drafted. One considered that initially, if you look at Section 12.3, most of the instances were speaking to land, as the department through their legal team has pointed, it was land. But if we look at section 12.3e, they have used the term when the nature or conditions of the property poses a health, safety, or physical risk to persons or other property. Now, if we look at the definition that is given by the constitution of property to say that property is not only restricted to land, and at four, when they use the word property, which has been said is, for an example, abandoned buildings, that now does give a view that it is going outside only to the restriction that it would have been land that is expropriated without, that is expropriated at a determined nil compensation if it is found to be fair and equitable. And then again, it brings issues to the question that the public has raised about the definition of property and whether the definition of property is necessary to define in this instance or not. But as I move on, I will also align that issue with what appears under the definition of 
the court for purposes of this bill. Um, and I won't specifically outline the circumstances, Chairperson. So I will quickly move through the following the, the, the following slides because that has already been um, spoken to by the department. So I'm jumping through slide nine and slide ten. <clears throat> um, Chairperson, I think. With, with, with your permission, in this principle, uh, amongst the principles of the bill that we are dealing with, I think it is crucial now that we start on the issue of the definitions. And as has been already given some background and understanding by the department, um, in my view, and in light of the submissions, as well as what the, the state law advisor is still going to present, because then I, I don't want to labor much on it. Expropriation already as it stands and out of the existing legislation is forceful acquisition in terms of the law. And that's what section 25 says um, that I mean, deprivation can happen in terms of the law of general application. And this bill would definitely be, once it becomes legislation, the law of general application, because it will be speaking about the processes and methods and systems that must be complied with in order to ensure that the expropriation is lawful and the expropriation is, is in line with the terms of the Constitution. Chairperson, I think what we still, with the direction of the committee and through the deliberations, we will get an indication then whether, in what way is it necessary that the definition of expropriation, in light of what the jurisprudence as the courts have guided us, is the meaning of public purpose, and the meaning of having to expropriate for public interest in line with the existing legislation like the Restitution Act, as well as the, 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 the Mineral Act, uh, like the Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Act. Because everything that in each and every new draft legislation, we must ensure that there is congruence and the legislation does speak to, 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 to one another. Thus, Chaperson, the, the process of expropriation does fall within the violation of rights in Section 25, as well as the balancing exercise that is required in terms of Section 36 of, 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 the, of, the, of the Constitution. Hence, Chaperson, it is an exercise that in terms of what is already in place, we do know that the, 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 the executive as the ones that will be conducting the expropriation in terms of legislation, that exercise in assistance with the courts will have to be done. The exercise of ensuring that the courts are engaged, the exercise of ensuring that the rights are protected, the exercise of ensuring that where the rights need to be violated, then there must be a balancing exercise that ensures the Section 36 of the Constitution as well as Section 33 of the Constitution, which is fair and just administrative action. 
Now, Chairperson, I moved into the issue of the role of courts, which is also a serious principle about this bill. The submissions did question whether the bill is clear in terms of identifying the role that will be played by the courts in line with section 25 indicating that a determination of what is fair and equitable may be done by a court where the parties are, are in dispute and not seeing eye to eye in terms of whatever the, the executive or the expropriating authority will be suggesting and saying they are prepared to pay as the fair and equitable amount of compensation. Now, that said, Chairperson, there always, and that is why the Section 25 is saying there should be no arbitrary deprivation. So reasons and reasonableness and the exercise of limitation is a crucial principle that must take place throughout the bill and that's why the provisions are setting out the process from start. How is expropriation to be done? The consultations that are necessary, the investigations that are necessary to take place, the societal consideration and land reform, which is basically why Section 25 is a, is a, is a, is a property rights provision that speaks as if it is in conflict with, an, with one another. But it's because it seeks to ensure that the balance of what the past was and the balance of what has happened um, in our history is corrected and corrected in a fair and a just manner. Now, Jefferson, the question I wanted to raise in respect of the role of the court, we do have a land court bill that is under process before parliament right now. In summary, that bill is 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 flighted as going to be a section 166e special high court division, um, which means it's a court that is going to be established in terms of an act of parliament, but it will hold the status of a high court division, and the details are set out in that bill. But the contrast is that in terms of our own bill, the definition that is defining the court and the extent of, of this court. It, it does mention the involvement of the level of a high court, but it also does mention in sub B of the definition, the level of a magistrate court. And so I think the department will have to clarify the engagement they had with the Department of Justice or whether there will be necessary amendments in this instance to do for purposes of our bill. But furthermore, I think the part that the, that the public also raised was the issue of C in, in, the, in the definition of, of, of court, where it reads as follows. In the case of intangible property, the court within whose area of jurisdiction the owner of the property is ordinary resident or has its principal place of business, within the Republic, that would also be a court. Now, the question I said I would have to come back to, Chairperson, is the use of that word intangible, especially in line with what Clause 12.3 is providing for purposes of the property that will be property that could be determined to be property expropriated within a nil compensation. What does the department seek to achieve by using this term intangible property, what is meant 
for purposes of their own um, intentions? And does that not create problems in taking the matter forward, and especially under clause twelve three of the of the of the nil compensation determination? Um, then, Chaperson, the 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 provisions that I've mentioned there, clauses thirty one and thirty two and thirty three of the Land Court Bill, discusses provision of mediation, arbitration and second nectars out of court, but whatever decision from these can be made a court order. So these are the provisions that are specifically set out in that specialized court, which is said to be a court with, which will deal with all land disputes. And I'm assuming that includes the issues of expropriation of land, because that also entails land disputes. Our bill also in certain provisions has is also speaking to the same mechanisms of trying to find the parties that are in dispute. There is room for arbitration. There is room for mediation. So I think what will be necessary moving forward is for the department assisting the, the, the committee. And when we prepare draft amendments, if there's going to be any, to clarify these issues and to clarify the link or the manner that the envisaged court has defined in our bill and the envisaged land court bill, as already the Department of Justice is ensuring that such a structure is legally in place. How do they work? What is the relationship? We will need to then make sure that there's congruence there in those issues in terms of the principle of the role of courts. Um, Chairperson, I think the, the, the presentation that follow will speak to this issue about mostly the definition of property and the issues that I'm raising in respect of the definition and the meaning of what intangible property means in light of the submissions and the concerns already that the committee is, 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 is having. Um, I think, Chairperson, um, I would leave this uh, and not give it details because I believe and I submit that the, 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 the opinion that the state law advisor will present is more succinct and clear in terms of all the issues that I would have spoken to about jurisprudence and the definition of the proper term of property, as well as maybe following the heed and the warning of the courts that it's not necessarily wise for purposes of a developing system like this one, and why we want to ensure that it aligns with the constitution to at this stage, restrict ourselves and provide the definition of what property would mean. And I think there were good intentions when the constitution drafters and the constitutional assembly also brought in the definition that says, um, property for purposes of Section 25 does not necessarily have to restrict itself within the confines of land or the meaning of land. In terms of taking clause by clause and the ones that were raised, Chairperson, I have raised various issues in respect of clause 9, um, read with clause 18, and the clauses that are related to third parties. The department does um, 
leave certain matters when one studies the bill, like the issue and clarity on perpetual holding of the already acquired property by the state. It is not clear, and some of the judgments have pointed out that there, there will be issues, and unless the bill provides those details, like the perpetual lease agreements on land and the land that is held in custody by the state, and if it was expropriated for purposes that this bill speaks to, there is a requirement and a constitutional obligation that eventually we cannot be holding property forever, and therefore the bill needs to clarify the end results of the property that has been expropriated for purposes of public interest, as well as ensuring that the public purpose is achieved as outlined in our constitution, as outlined in, in all of the prescripts that are, that are speaking to it. Um, Chairperson, as I said, linking the same issues that are, are, are risen by clause nine, which is the vesting provision, if one speaks to other areas like section 20, it speaks about mortgage bonds. There are many various issues that are not answered, like why the mortgage related rights and obligations are excluded in the clarity and the mechanism of the expropriation notice, as well as at some point one can read that there is double jeopardy that is posed on the one that will lose their property when there is expropriation. So the bill is leaving various issues unattended to, like there remains a vacuum in clause nine, if one reads clause nine, one D together with um, clause 20, where it, it, it basically points out that at some point, if, if they don't know where to pay the compensation money to, they will leave it with the master's office, but the third party is still required to be paying the bond and the issues that were raised by, I think it was Bank, Bank Association of South Africa, they raised various issues that indeed when the members consider the bill, those are the provisions that we really need to look into. And if necessary, provide clarity and ensure that um, the fears of the public are, are laid through legislation and through legislation that is written with certainty and the expectations of the public, the expectations from the government is very clear. Um, just to mention practical issues when reading clause nine against clause 18 and 19, these are some of the questions that um, the bill not necessarily to be left out for when it's implementation time or regulation. The bill as the principal legislation, it must clarify and it must speak to them. Who will bear transfer costs and duties? Who will incur responsibilities that arise with ownership and why? Or what is the rationale behind the position that clause 18 and 19 has taken? For an example, clause 19, subsection three, expresses using the compensation money to cover municipal rates and charges. In other words, the compensation amount will, will or might not include the charges, but the person who owned the property must still, when the property is deprived, if they were in areas um, and in terms of the existing current property laws, 
they are liable to take responsibility of that. But in the end, you are still going to enjoy the right to your property. And in this instance, when your property is taken away, but you still expected to make sure you take liability of the, you, 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 take, you, you take responsibility of the liability that you incurred. I think these are the issues that the bill needs to ensure that it is balanced and it is fair because legislation is required to be fair to all those that will be, will be affected by it. And that is why the committee um, is, 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 is asked that seriously, these are the issues we need to consider with all our eyes open and in the end ensure that is, it, it is implementable and it is fair. Chairperson, this slide I have spoken to in light of the of the of the role of the courts and against what is envisaged in respect of the of the land court bill. Um, and the land court bill is a, is a specialized court actually answers some of the of the questions that um, uh, I had when I was unpacking the bill. Furthermore, in terms of the role of the court. Um, I think it needs to be clarified when prescribing fees because there are fees that um, are expected when one takes litigation to court. Who will incur the cost of the proceedings? Because I did see that there's a provision in the bill that says that if the party whose property is being expropriated feels that they will not have the means, they can request the expropriating authority to take the dispute to court. And in, in instances like that, it may be clear that then the expropriating authority will be incurring the cost. But in other instances, I think these are issues that must be clarified so that when the intention of the legislature through legislation is recorded, these issues will be spoken to and the, the history will speak for itself should there be litigation that arises out of this bill. Um, <clears throat> again, Chairperson, I've spoken to this issue as I made an example that there is a place where the bill just seeks to hide in the fact that should should the parties not find one another, the money would be placed in the master's office and the master's fund. I think details need to be given into that and unpacked by the department because as it stands right now, it is very scanty and, and, and doesn't give the details that legislation is supposed to provide. Um, Chairperson, the provision that I'm asking here now as to generally on other provisions, like what is the intended um, role of Clause 29, um, it's regulations and legal documents and steps valid under certain circumstances. Um, there is a provision there that, and, and one of the submissions that did, I think did point out it basically appears to promote and enable incompetence and shoddy work by the officials and functionaries. And I think such cannot be empowered in terms of legislation, especially as the committee knows that it has a role of oversight to play over government as well as organs of state, including other institutions of government. So I think that one moving forward, Jefferson, like close 27, we will need just to make sure that the committee is satisfied with the final dictates 
of, of those provisions. And when we go through clause by clause deliberations, I will bring further details on the issues that are being raised in this instance, Jefferson. Um, on the issue of clause 22, the agent expropriation, Jefferson, um, there are two instances that appear as justification for expropriation on an agent basis. And I think the positive light on this one, and that the, these are exempted from following the provisions that are set out when expropriation must take place, the notice, the investigations and everything. And one example that is very clear is, is, is in light of where property or structures are needed to deal with issues that we just dealt with in respect of COVID-19 and the disasters that arise and the risk that goes with when a, a, a state of disaster is declared. So that is one of them. But also, Chairperson, it does list and specify the type of property that will be expropriated in light of agent expropriation. So I think that provision, even though the committee may need to relook at it and be satisfied, it does to a certain degree um, bring the restriction that is necessary and it will not fall within the provision of those that can be um um, be, be, be property expropriated at nil compensation. And that is a positive light and should allay the fears of the public, Chairperson. Generally, Chairperson, these are the issues I thought I would bring to the committee. And when we go through deliberations, we will definitely have to ensure that we take the instruction of the committee. I thank you. Chairperson, that is the end of my submission. Thank you. Good morning, Chair. Uh, it's Mr. Fambredaya from the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor. May I proceed with the presentation? Yes, please proceed. Yes, please proceed. Thank you. Thank you, Chair, and good morning, honorable members. Um, as I've said, I'm Mr. Fambredaya. I'm from the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor. I trust that you all have a copy of our legal opinion dated the 16th of February, in which we address legal constitutional concerns raised during the public comment stage of the bill. Um, Chair, I have been requested to share a copy of the opinion on the screen. I'll just go ahead and do that. And I'll start with clause one of, of the bill, which is the definitions clause. And I'll commence with the, the definition of expropriation. Chair, a submission was made during the public comment stage that the definition of expropriation in the bill 
is limited in that it is subject to the acquisition of property by the state and is merely based on a remark contained in the Constitutional Court judgment of Agri-SA versus Minister of, for Minerals and Energy. Now, the Constitutional Court in that matter held that for expropriation to be proven, it must be established that the state has acquired the substance or core content of what has been deprived. Um, the Constitutional Court further held that there can be no expropriation in circumstances where deprivation does not result in property being acquired by the state. In the majority judgment, Chair, the Justice Mukhwing held that expropriation is a species of deprivation and that there are additional requirements that set expropriation apart from mere deprivation being compulsory acquisition of rights and property by the state for a public purpose or in the public interest and subject to compensation. In addition, Justice Cameron concurred that acquisition by the state is a necessary feature of expropriation under Section 25, and that acquisition by the state is, is a general hallmark of expropriation. So it is therefore clear from the Agri-SA judgment that the expropriation of property in terms of Section 25 is indeed dependent upon the acquisition of such property by the state. And it's not merely a remark made by the Constitutional Court as asserted in the public comments. We also believe it prudent to refer to the constitutional judgment of Hoxon versus Lane. In that judgment, uh, Justice Goldstone held that the distinction between expropriation, which involves the acquisition of rights and property by a public authority, for a public purpose and the deprivation of rights and property which fall short of compulsory acquisition has long been recognized in our law. So the definition of expropriation in the bill is consequently consistent with the constitutional court's description of what expropriation entails. Um, I now move to the definition of property. It was submitted during the the public comment stage, Chair, that, that uh, Section 25 of the Constitution clearly permits the expropriation of property under a narrower definition of property, limited to land and the rights in land. Now, in the bill, property is defined as property contemplated in Section 25 of the Constitution. Now, Section 25 does not provide a definition for property. It merely states that property is not limited to land. Now, in the Constitutional Court judgment of the Law Society of South Africa versus Minister of Transport and, and another, the court held that the question of what the meaning of property is as contemplated in Section 25 is a vexed question, and that property as used in the property clause is a word of broad and inexact purpose, and that it must follow that both corporeal and incorporeal property enjoy protection in terms of Section 25. 
it must be noted that the Constitutional Court held in the, the Law Society judgment that the definition for property, of property for purposes of constitutional protection should not be too wide to make legis legislative regulation impractical and not too narrow to render the protection of property of little worse. Hence the challenge here of an attempt to define the term property as contemplated in section 24, subsection 4B of the constitution. Um, furthermore, Chair, in the Constitutional Court Judgment of FNB versus Commissioner for the SA Revenue Services, the Con Court held that it is practically impossible to furnish and judicially unwise to attempt a comprehensive definition of property for purposes of Section 25. And also, in a further judgment, judgment, constitutional judgment of Shoprite Checkers versus MSC for Economic Development, Environmental Affairs and Tourism, the Concord there held that the objective normative values of the Constitution require us to determine what kind of property deserves protection under the property clause by reference to the Constitution itself. So we, we therefore recommend that the committee in its consideration of the definition of property in the bill should do so bearing in mind the findings of the Constitutional Court as discussed. So I will now deal with the concerns raised in, in respect of clauses eight and nine of the bill. Now clause eight of the bill provides for the service of a notice of expropriation by the expropriating authority upon the owner of the concerned property as well as upon known holders of unregistered rights in such property. Now the said notice of expropriation must further contain the date of expropriation as well as the amount of compensation offered or agreed to. Now the committee should take note of clause seven of the bill as well, which provides for the service of a notice of intention to expropriate by the expropriating authority and that the clause does make provision for negotiations between the owner and the expropriating authority in respect of compensation for the intended expropriation. Clause nine of the bill chair provides for the vesting and possession of expropriated property and states what the effect of an expropriation of property will be, which includes the vesting of the ownership of property in the ex, um, expropriating authority. Uh, we do note that clause eight of the bill is similar in content, to, in content to section seven of the existing expropriation act of 1975. which provides for a notice of expropriation upon the owner of the property concerned, which notice must also contain the date of expropriation and may contain an amount therein, which is offered as compensation for the expropriation. In addition, Chair Section 9 of the existing Expropriation Act provides that 
an owner whose property has been expropriated should respond in a written statement to any offer for compensation contained in the notice of expropriation. And where no such compensation was offered, the written statement must contain the amount claimed by the owner as compensation for the expropriation. And Chair, in respect of clauses 89, a submission was made during the public comment stage that those two clauses should be amended to disallow the expropriation of property in the absence of an agreement or court order in respect of compensation for the expropriation. Now, the public comments further submitted that clauses 8 and 9 of the Bill are in conflict with section 25, subsection 2B of the Constitution. Now, that paragraph of, uh, of section 25.2 provides that property may be expropriated only in terms of law of general application, subject to compensation, the amount of which and the time and manner of which payment of which uh, have either been agreed to by those affected or decided or approved by a court. Now, Chair, I'd like to refer you to the Constitutional Court judgment of Harfaji and others versus Itaquini Municipality. In that judgment, Chair, the Constitutional Court held that the provisions of Section 25-2B of the Constitution do not require that the amount of compensation and the time and manner of payment must always be determined by agreement or by the court before expropriation in terms of section 25.2. The court further held that in those cases where compensation is determined after expropriation, this must be done as soon as reasonably possible. Chair, I move now to clause 12.3 of the bill clauses 12.3 and 12.4. Chair, um, clause 12.3 provides that it may be just and equitable for no compensation to be paid when land is expropriated in the public interest having regard to all relevant circumstances. And a non-restrictive list of circumstances are included in the subclause, Chair. Now, a submission was made during the public comment stage that the expropriation of property for no compensation would be incompatible with the Constitution's requirement of just and equitable compensation. Now, Section 25.1 of the Constitution provides that no one may be deprived of profit property except in terms of law of general application, and that no law may permit arbitrary deprivation of property. Now, Chair, I will now discuss the meaning of arbitrary as contemplated in Section 25.1 of the Constitution. In the Constitutional Court judgment of, of the FNB judgment, the Constitutional Court held that arbitrary as used in section 25 is not limited to non-rational deprivations and that it refers to a wider concept and a broader controlling principle that is more demanding than an, an inquiry into mere rationality. So at the same time, 
It is a narrow and less intrusive concept than that of the proportionality evaluation required by the limitation provisions of Section 36 of the Constitution. Now, the court further held that if a deprivation is not arbitrary, the Section 25.1 right is not limited, and the question of justification in terms of Section 36, therefore, does not arise. And the Concord then concluded that the deprivation of property is arbitrary when the law referred to in Section 25.1 does not provide sufficient reason for the particular deprivation in question or is procedurally unfair. Now, Chair, with regard to procedural fairness, the relevant section of the Constitution is Section 33, which provides that everyone has the right to administrative action that is lawful, reasonable, and procedurally fair. Now, in the Constitutional Court judgment of Batu Star Fishing versus Minister of Environmental Affairs and Tourism, the Concord held that the Promotion of Administrative Justice Act gives effect to Section 33 of the Constitution. Now, that act is, is also no, better known as the PAJA. Chair and Section 3.1 of the PAJA provides that administrative action which materially and adversely affects the rights or legitimate expectations of any person must be procedurally fair. And Section 3.2 Chair provides that a fair administrative procedure depends on the circumstances of each case. And in order to give effect to the right to procedurally fair administrative action, an administrator must give a person referred to in subsection one, adequate notice of the nature and purpose of the proposed action, a reasonable opportunity to make representations, a clear statement of the, the administrative action, adequate notice of any right of review or turn internal appeal, and adequate notice of the right to request reasons in terms of section five of the PAJA. Now, Chair, after examining the administrative procedures provided for in the bill, which is particularly contained in chapter four of the bill, it appears that an inference can be made that the administrative procedure provided for in the bill regarding the intention to expropriate and the ex expropriation of property is actually consistent with section 33 of the constitution and as well as the fair, with the fair administrative procedure prescribed in section three of the PAJA. Chair, I will now deal with the limitation of rights as provided for in section 36 of the constitution. Now, the Constitutional Court in the F&B judgment held that if a deprivation of property is arbitrary, it must be determined whether such deprivation is justified under Section 36 of the Constitution. Now, Section 36.1 provides that the rights in the Bill of Rights may be limited only in terms of a law of general application to the extent that the limitation is reasonable and justifiable in an open 
and democratic society based on human dignity, equality, and freedom, taking into account all relevant factors. And there is a non-restrictive list provided there uh, in, in subsection 1G. Now, the Constitutional Court in the FNB judgment further held that if a deprivation infringes Section 25.1 of the Constitution and cannot be justified in terms of Section 36, that would then be the end of the matter and the deprivation would be unconstitutional. Then she would like to refer you to the Constitutional Court judgment of the state versus Manamela, where the court held that the approach to limitation is to determine the proportionality between the extent of the limitation of the right, considering the nature and importance of the infringed right on the one hand, and the purpose, importance, and effect of the infringing provision on the other. And should it then be determined that an expropriation of property is indeed arbitrary, it must then be determined whether the expropriation can be justified in terms of Section 36 of the Constitution. And if an expropriation cannot be justified under Section 36, that is the end of the matter. And as previously mentioned, such a deprivation would be unconstitutional. Chair, with regards to compensation, as, as discussed, Chair, Section 25.3 of the Constitution requires that the amount of compensation and the time and manner of payment must be just and equitable, reflecting an equitable balance between the public interest and the interest of those affected, having regard to all relevant circumstances. Now, in the FNB judgment, the Concord held that the protection of property as an individual right in terms of Section 25 of the Constitution is not absolute, but subject to societal considerations, and that the purpose of Section 25 is not merely to protect private property, but also to advance the public interest in relation to property. I'd like to now turn to the, the AGRI-SA judgment, where the Constitutional Court held that the approach to be adopted in interpreting Section 25, with particular reference to expropriation, is to have regard to the special role the section has to play in facilitating the fulfillment of our country's nation building and reconciliation responsibilities. Now, regarding the requirement of just and equitable compensation, the Constitutional Court did hold, or did rule in the FNB judgment, that there are, there are appropriate circumstances where it would be permissible for legislation to deprive persons of property without the payment of compensation. Now, similarly, in the land claims court judgment of Labati versus Fick, the land claims court held that there can be circumstances where the absence of a right to compensation for expropriation is reasonable and justifiable and in the public interest, which includes the the nation's commitment to land reform. So clause 12.3 chair 
in our view, is therefore consistent with the aforementioned court rulings. Now, Chair, I will now address clause 12.4 of the bill, which provides that when a court or arbitrator determines the amount of compensation in terms of the Land Reform Labor Tenants Act, it may be just and equitable for no compensation to be paid, even in regard to all relevant circumstances. Now, a submission was made during the, the public comment stage, G. that clause 12.4 of the bill is in direct conflict with section 2.2 of the Land Reform Act. Now, section 2.2 of the Land Reform Act provides that in the event of expropriation of land which is occupied or used by a labor tenant or his or her associate, such labor tenant or his or her successor in title shall be entitled to just and equitable compensation as prescribed in the Constitution for the resulting loss of rights in land. It must be noted, Chair, that Section 2.1 of the Land Reform Act provides that the rights conferred by the Act shall be subject to the provisions of any law providing for the expropriation of land or rights in land. Now, the rights conferred, therefore confirmed by the Land Reform Act, will consequently be subject to the provisions of the envisaged, the new envisaged expropriation act, should the bill be passed by parliament and assented to by the, pre the president. So therefore there, in our view, Chair, there is no conflict with uh, section 2.2 of the Land Reform Act. Chair, that is the conclusion of my presentation. Um, and I thank you for your time, Chair. Thank you. Um, thank you uh, from the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor. Um, again, uh, we appreciate all the presentations that have been made, starting from the Department of Public Works and Infrastructure, um, the Parliamentary Legal Services, and the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor. Um, I think they, they are assisting us a lot. Um, some of the issues that we have raised uh, were concerns that were raised by the public when we went for public hearings, and some were concerns raised by those that were in oral presentations and some were those who were concerned raised by those that were in written submissions. But you have really assisted us today. I am now uh, inviting members. Um, um, uh, I'm now inviting members for questions of clarities. Uh, remember members that we will have a chance to discuss the bill clause by clause. And this information that has been presented to us today will also assist us when we discuss the bill clause by clause. But uh, uh, for questions of clarities, um, uh, I will then um, 
allow you to 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 raise your comments um for now the only members that have raised their hands it's honorable Pram Mare and honorable Hicklin over to you honorable members Thank you very much, Chair. Um, good morning to everybody. And um, I'd really like to thank everybody um, for the presentations today. I think they've been absolutely outstanding um, and have certainly um, given us some good direction with respect to some of the, the concerns that were raised both during um, submissions and, and the public hearings. And there are just a couple of points I'd like to address, if I may, please. Um, Advocate Badlinda, um, your presentation was, was fantastic um, and provided great clarity. The only concern I had was that um, you spoke on, on, clauses, on clause 12, 3 and 4. Um, you spoke about the amount of powers that the court had with respect to the determinations in respect of um, what would comply with the requirements of that section. In other words, um, you spoke about... Um, um, for example, whether or not a property has been abandoned, that would need to be determined by the court. The problem with that is, is that is that so much of the, what the Act does is it is it allows for access to court after the fact. So um, the sort of access to court seems to be post expropriation notice. Um, and and I think the the um, parliamentary legal advisor did raise the issue around who would be responsible for costs of of any sort of legal legal battle. I mean. We're trying to fight a, an issue in, in our municipality, and we have to find a hundred thousand rand before you can even appoint counsel. So, um, the cost implication of any legal battle becomes a big concern for people who are trying to protect a private property right. Um, so, you've you've given consideration to the idea that the courts can then determine what is property um, and determine the issues around that um, no compensation. But I'm concerned that, that the court comes in too late and that the costs become prohibitive. So if that's something we can all just apply our minds to um, when we're going into that clause-by-clause clause deliberation. Um, I also um, I, I, I really appreciate your alternative proposal um, with respect to, I think it was, um, um, I'm trying to remember now. Sorry, I've made notes and then I'm not um, not too excited about where I've got a foot. So your proposed amendments, um, your um, thing with respect to um, uh, 12.3D was very good. Um, and also the amendment from the department with respect to um, um, potentially how we address loss of control. I think that's important. I think that has been a big concern. Um, one of my big concerns with that was that we would incentivize land grabs if um, loss of physical control was, was um, a prerequisite for no compensation. Um, then I just wanted to also say that... Um, I found the presentation, particularly the updated presentation from the parliamentary legal advisor, excellent. Um, and I really want to thank her for the absolute thoroughness with which she's addressed everything um, and, and addressed a lot of the concerns that have been raised. My only gripe um, is, is her support of the SEISA. Um, following... We were never presented with that when we started the debate on this on this expropriation bill. And then following um, a prior application by, I think it was Sarkalicha, um, the SEISA was released. I went through that document. I actually wrote to Minister Dalil about it to to object to the to the extent that that this thing, as far as I'm concerned, 
the E in the SEISA deals or the SEIA deals with economic impact. There were no economic impacts discussed at any great length in that document. In fact, they said investment will not be negatively affected by the introduction of the bill because investors' interest is whether the bill complies with the constitution. That was the sum total of their um, nod to, to economic impact. If you look at, say, for example, AgriSA's submission that they made, they did a major um, impact assessment on the impact of something like this <clears throat> based on various countries like Zimbabwe and Venezuela. Um, our SEIA did nothing to that extent. Um, it also cited um, support from, from organizations who, once, once we heard their submissions, were not in support of, of, of the bill or of, of aspects of the bill. So my concern is that that, SE, that socioeconomic impact was not properly done. It was a desktop study. I requested that a proper one be done. And in fact, the Banking Association of SA, I think it was... Um, it was AgriSA as well, who said that they actually, they were cited as supporting the whole, the whole SEIA. And then um, later on in their submission said no, that they actually would like an independent um, impact assessment done. So I'm very, very concerned that that SEIA is being used um, in support of what we're doing here and really was not ever um, properly done in, in support of what, what we're trying to achieve here. So I, I must differ with, with the, um, um, the parliamentary legal advisor on that. And in addition, in your slide, you say that the good and bad implications were discussed. Um, I'm sorry, I don't think that's a particularly uh, technical or legal term. And what we actually need is to know what the socio and economic implications are, not the good and bad implications, and whether or not we are um, uh, we've identified and addressed those concerns um, with this legislation. So um, I don't think we're operating from the right basis in terms of that um, in the way we are, are dealing with the bill. Um, and then just furthermore, I think there were there were most of most of the things that um, that were then said by the parliamentary legal advisor. I did I did um, agree to, um, and I do think she's given us a lot of food for thought in terms of the various clauses that we will be looking at. Um, and and I think that that's going to go a long way to appease people and and allow people to relax a little bit. Um, I do feel that for the first time we've taken a lot of the emotion out of this bill. Um, we're looking at it um, from a really balanced perspective. The inputs we've received have been very balanced. Um, again, I think when we get to the debate, the issue of the property clause is going to, to come up. And I think part of my concern is that is that leaving it as open as we do, um, that is going to create more fear. Um, I think that in terms of what government should be allowed to expropriate. I don't think it should be defined in terms of constitutional property. I think it should be defined in this act because it, it doesn't apply to the constitutional definition of property, but it applies to the definition of property that can be expropriated. And I think leaving it so open to interpretation again, um, I think we're going to then have to be running to courts to get a definition of property to allow um, government to expropriate. Um, again, without trying to be melodramatic, I do think that we're going to have to possibly look at how we can create a more definitive um, definition of property just to 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 ensure that the the the, the bill is not or the act as it, when it, once it's passed is not abused um, for other mechanisms. I saw a very a very good example of 
intangible property potentially being expropriated by by the government. Um, a while back, there was a, a, a thing on carte blanche um, talking about um, software that had been designed for, the, for SAPs to use for DNA. I think it was for DNA analysis. Um, and there's a big dispute between the company that designed the software and SAPs. And so they've had a big falling out. Um, and SAPs are trying to now keep the intellectual property, this the software um, to use. And to me, that was a that was a very good example of expropriation of intangible property that could occur if we're not making sure that we protect the right kind of property. So I do think that we need to still have discussions around the property definition for purposes of expropriation and not just leave it open to um, constitutional interpretation. But that's that's just my opinion. Um, and then just finally, um, administrative law um, and justice um, must be complied, complied with. And some of the issues raised by the parliamentary legal advisor um, have indicated that there could be issues around administrative justice, particularly with respect, I think it was to, to clauses um, seven and eight, which dealt with expropriation notices. So um, we are going to need... Um, as highlighted by the um, chief state law advisor, we are going to have to measure up every single clause against administrative law um, prescripts before we we are happy with them. But for 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 the main, um, I'd like to just really commend everybody um, on the real thoroughness of the of the work that has been done. Um, it has made our job so much easier. I mean, um, none of us are, are, you know, we're coming in as legislators, but um, it's very difficult as lay people initially to have come in and done this. And I'd really like to thank everybody for the hard work that's gone in here. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honourable Honourable Thank you so much, Chair. Very much of what I've been said has been um, said by Honourable Graham-Marais already. I just want to echo her sentiments of thanking the everybody who was involved in the preparations of these uh, presentations in clarifying so many of the issues that were raised in the public consultations and in the written and um, uh, presentations that we received and comments from the public. The one thing that I did find particularly problematic um, that I th that just really jarred with me was um, clause uh, 12.3a problematically, uh, and, and I know that we're going to go into it in terms of the clause-by-clause clause analysis, was the who was going to decide which property was going to be used, which was going to be allowed to be held for investment and which was not. And it's, it's just a very, very big um, light bulb that's flashing in my head is who's going to be the judge and arbiter of, of whether you can have a... a a piece of property for investment or not. And, and, and that is a major problem for me. And I know that we're going to deal with it in a clause-by-clause clause analysis. But again, I, I did want to highlight the in, immense amount of, of concentration and attention to detail that our state law advisor had put into it in clarifying so many of the issues that we had discussed within ourselves as a committee during our deliberations on the road um, and how much had been brought up by the public and how it had affected us during our deliberations 
during those long nine months on the road and how much she had clarified for us. I know she was representative of the team that did the work and I just wanted to add my thanks as Honourable Graham Maria had done and just say thank you to everybody, but particularly to the State Law Advisor for actually clarifying so many things. And, and basically it was just a vote of thanks. That was all I wanted to say. Thank you so much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Hicklin. Um, again, uh, let me appreciate uh, all what these presentations have done um, in uh, giving light to what was not clear to many. But uh, I, I can't agree with, with Honorable Graham Murray when she is saying that uh, um, now there will be no emotions, as if previously we ever had emotions. Um, as this portfolio committee, we have handled this bill, I think, in the most appropriate way. And we indicated several times in our public hearings and even during the oral presentations that before we discuss it as the portfolio committee, we will invite the legal experts, which we have today, um, so that they look at what uh, are the concerns that are being raised by all the, 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 present, the, the submissions, whether it's oral uh, submissions, whether it is um, written submissions, and whether it is people that are speaking in public hearings. But what is good about all these presentations that we have been given today, they agree with one thing, that the Constitution is saying that an act must be enabled to deal with expropriation. And I think we are in the right way. We really appreciate it, uh, the, the department. It has clarified a lot of things um, about the expropriation, about property, and also the fact that in your presentation, you have also referred to us on cases that have been there in the constitutional court, dealing with expropriation, dealing with, um, with property. So we really appreciate this. As we go for our debate and analysis of clause by clause, we will be carrying all this information that you have given to us. We will be referring to all this information that you have been given to us. And I know also that you will also be part of, of our meeting so that we can reference at any time when we are dealing with clause by clause um, when we are analyzing this. So really, we, we, we really appreciate this. And just a reminder, honorable members, that uh, the key part in this bill is what the Constitution is saying, that there should be an act which stipulates how to administer 
expropriation for the common good in order to rectify what went wrong. So I, 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 I really uh, think that we are more than armed now. We are more than ready to go there as the portfolio committee to discuss cross by cross of uh, the the bill. We appreciate again um, all that. We will then, um, uh, in the absence of any hand, uh, maybe uh, release all the guests that we have uh, invited because um, as part of our um, agenda today, we are still going to deal with the minutes of the previous meeting. Um, again, uh, DM um, and um, Acting DG, thank you for your time as, as the department in bringing us to us um, this information. Uh, Ms. Ngema uh, from the Parliamentary Legal Services and the Office of the Chief State Law Advisor, we really appreciate all the presentation. They really opened our eyes on what we are supposed to do when we discuss this bill clause by clause. Thank you. Ms. Valerie, can you then fly to the minutes of the previous meeting? Thank you, goodbye. Thank you, Chairperson, members, goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thank you, Spirit. Thank yes, you, may you may be excused. Yeah, all, all, yeah, yeah. All our guests may be excused now. Just give me a moment. I seem to have a technical issue here. Um, can um, members see the minute? It's visible. Yes, um, we can see it. I'll scroll through each person. Um, honorable members, these are the minutes of our previous uh, meeting uh, that we held on the 16th of, of was it the 16th? Yeah, 16th of February. Uh, are they the true reflection of what we discuss in the meeting? Uh, Honourable Hickley. Sorry, Chair, I was just having trouble unmuting myself. My initials are MB, not BM, and uh, Inez's apology was not re was not registered, Chair. Thank you, um, Honourable Hickley. Um, Ms. Valerie, can you put uh, as, as, as Honorable Hicklin is, 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 is raising issues? Yes, Chair, I will, I will pour into that in the minutes. Um, Honorable Graham Murray. Thanks, Chair. We haven't quite reached it yet, but if, if um, Valerie doesn't mind just scrolling down to 5.2. Um, 
the last word should be year and not meeting of that sentence. So in the future quarterly performance meetings of the current financial year should, should be what that sentence reads. Thank you. Thank you, um, Honorable um, Rayam Mare. I had also uh, uh, highlighted that one. Um, any other issue, Honorable Members? Uh, Honorable Sharon Fanskalvey. Thank you very much, Chairperson, and good morning to the members and, and the staff members. I think I'm invisible today, Chair. I've raised my hand previously, but it doesn't seem as if you, you've seen it. But uh, well, with those amendments, so those amendments Chairperson, I would like to second the proposal in terms of the adoption of this minutes. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Fanskalvik, and sincere apologies. I really didn't see your hand. I don't know this device of mine. It didn't show your hand. Sincere apologies for that. Uh, you know, I always want everyone to speak in our meeting, so apologies. Um, uh, Honorable, Graham, Honorable Hicklin um, raised issues but said that we must adopt uh, also, Honorable Brian raised issues, and then uh, they are going to be uh, rectified. And then on that note, uh, Honorable Franz Galvik is saying that uh, she seconds that, so the minutes have been uh, adopted, uh, the motion. Um, the other item on the agenda... Another, Miss Valerie. Miss Valerie. Yes, Chair, I am loading the agenda. It's just the closing remarks and okay. the adjournment. Okay, okay. Um, Honorable members, uh, according to ATC, uh, we are a member for. IFP, uh, Honorable Zondo, uh, according to the latest ATC, uh, is the one who is uh, replacing our dearly departed Honorable Numalo. Uh, but uh, Honorable Zondo is not here in this meeting of today. Maybe in the next meeting we will see him, but we are soon going to be joined by Honorable Zondo according to the latest ATC. Honorable members, again, let me appreciate um, the way that you are uh, robustly constructively debating in our portfolio committee. And as you all know that uh, the people of South Africa are looking at us, especially when it comes to this expropriation bill. 
today's presentation, I think they have uh, really assisted us. It is one of the tools that we will be using when we analyze the bill clause by clause and reference to what we have been given today. Really appreciate that as part of explaining um, uh, these clauses, uh, the fact that our presenters today and our legal experts also referred to case laws. I think that one it will go a long way when we discuss clause by clause. But one thing that we have already we have always said to people of South Africa is that when to allay their fears, those that were saying that this deal is wrong and all that, we said that we won't do something that is not within the parameters of the law. So today, these legal experts, they have assisted us to show that if you talk about property, if you talk about expropriation, if you talk about determination, if you talk about without compensation, if you talk about nil compensation, you can refer to this case law. This is the definition that is given by the Constitution. So the reality is that, honorable members, we are still on the right track. Um, and also, it is our responsibility to ensure that as the Constitution says it clearly, that an act must be enacted to deal with expropriation. And it is also our responsibility that we ensure that an act is there to repeal Act number 63 of 1975. Thank you again, honorable members. Um, especially thanks to our team, which ensures that our all our meetings they go through without any interruptions, without anything going wrong. Thank you so much to our team. The meeting is hey. adjourned, honorable members. Hey, hey. Yeah. Hey, sorry, before you there go. A... Okay, um, chair, I've just checked. Um, I don't know what made me do it. I may because there's so few people on. I'm not sure that we're a quorum, which means I don't think we can adopt the minutes. At, at the time that we're supposed to adopt the minutes, we didn't meet the quorum. I don't think so. There are only four of us who are permanent members. I think um, Honorable Van Staden is an alternate member, if I recall correctly. So there are only four permanent members on this meeting. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Honorable um, Matebola, who was out, and the system had kicked him out. Honorable Machele, because I, I saw them. Honorable Machele, Honorable Matebola, Honorable Shabalala were part of the meeting. Maybe when we're I haven't seen with them, any of them. Sorry, Chair, I haven't seen any of them. So I think we must just please check that every that we had a quorum when we adopted the minutes. Otherwise, we'll just have to adopt them at the next meeting. Okay. We we then our our IT people they have to check that for us uh, that at the time we are adopting the minutes were we still within the quorum or because other members had gone who were no longer having quorum. We will have to check for that. But I know for a fact that Nar Mashele 
Honorable Shabalala and Honorable Matebula were part of the meeting. Uh, I may not have checked that when we were dealing with this, were they still part of the meeting? But I will, I will, I will ask our team to check for us, and then we'll deal with that item next week. They will tell us whether were we correcting at the time, and then if not, we'll deal with the minutes in the next uh, meeting. Thank you, Honorable Prime Mare, for raising that issue. Thank you so much. The meeting is adjourned, Honorable Members. Thank, Thank you so much. You. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. Cheerio. Yes. See you later in the house. Thank you. Have a good Thank day. You.